week, some sleepless nights, and uh, this past week especially, you know, I had one of those rough weeks at, uh, at work where my boss was on a, at a conference, had a million things coming in, you know, that client that we sent an agreement to about three months ago finally wakes up and read it, and now he's pinging us with emails, deadlines, everything's coming due, and come around to Friday, I'm wondering, how am I get everything out the door, and I said, all right, if I just sit my head down, I got my boss wanted me to print something, leave it on his desk for when he gets home, uh, gets to work on Monday, so I said, all right, by seven o'clock, I should be able to wrap this up, print it, and be done, and I'll be good. So get an email from the IT department that, uh, hey, everybody, we're going to be shutting down the printers at six o'clock today, so there's going to be no, no printing, no scanning, you know, it might be for, you know, a few hours, Now so I'm like, how am I going to get this stuff done? And in the midst of all that, uh, Jenna sends me a text. And she sends me a text of my, to my two girls. And they're just lying down on the bed and, and looking up. And, and Violet's starting to get that personality, right? Starting to actually look like a human being, you know? And, uh, and I'm looking at them. And I got another text. And it's me. Uh, it's, it's my wife and Grace just hanging out. And my in-laws in, in the pool. Just having a good time. Beautiful summer day. And, you know, in that moment, it's like all that stuff, all that business, all that work. And it didn't matter. All that stuff that I'm doing, I, I'm sitting there, I'm, sitting, I'm looking at that picture, I'm like, oh man, this is, this is all worth it. Yeah. If I can just take care of these girls, take care of my girls, just provide for them, I don't care if I got to, whatever I got to do, I'm going to take care of them. And I was reminded of this verse in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, and Josh quoted it this morning. The Bible says, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, Amen. how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? And you know, you're in Psalm 23, I'm reminded of any capacity that I have, any good characteristics, good traits that I can portray, capacity to love, show anything to my family or others, it comes from God. It's in his character. And if it's my desire to take care of my family, to love my family, the best of my ability as God commands me to do, then what do you think about God feels about his children? You know, this verse, Psalm 23, verse 1, I mean, the whole chapter, but specifically this verse 1 has been a verse that the Lord's been bringing back to, to my mind and showing me over and over again. And it's a simple, but it's a profound verse. And Psalm 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, you know, we know this psalm, even the, the lost and the unsaved can quote this psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. But you know, if the Lord is your shepherd this morning, you shall not want. You shall not want. And we're going to talk about what that means, to want. But wherever you are this morning, because we get pulled in different directions, we get pulled by different voices and stuff. Wherever you are this morning, if you've got a desire of God, if you need something from the Lord, if you're in a spot where you say, Lord, I just don't know if I can go one more day in this condition, you know what you need to be reminded of? That the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so we're going to read Psalm 23, and we're going to show, we're going to look at Psalm 23 and what David sees in his walk with the Lord. Um, But I just hope that this is a blessing to you, that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you so much for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for the uh, the sweet spirit that we've already had this morning and the singing. And Lord, I pray that you would just speak to your people this morning. Get me out of the way, Lord, and just show us from your word, Lord how we can be more like the Lord Jesus Christ, learn to trust you, learn to love you more, Lord. Help our faith, help my faith, or help my unbelief, even now, Lord, as I preach these words, Lord. And I ask that you would just be with us in everything that we say or do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. See, in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I want to point out the uh, first thing here, just for a little context as we walk through this chapter, a little context here is that this is David speaking, Psalm 23. Some of you might have a little subheading, a Psalm of David. This is David speaking. And David in Psalm 23 is giving an account of his walk with the Lord. And what he's doing is he's comparing his walk with the Lord to a shepherd leading sheep. And David could do that, right? Because David, before he took on Goliath, before he became a king, David was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. He was a good shepherd, right? He took care of his sheep. He had to fight off same animals to take care of his sheep. And so David, we know he could speak from experience about how the Lord was his shepherd. And I don't know what everyone else's occupations are in this room, but if you were to write a Psalm 23 and describe your walk with the Lord and compare it to your occupation, it might look a little bit different. But from just a historical perspective, it makes sense that David would say, give Psalm 23 and compare it to a shepherd and the sheep. But we know that the Bible is more than just an historical account, right? We know that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, that what I have on my hands are actually the words of life. 
And we know that although God will speak, he, the, Holy, uh, the Holy Ghost speak through men, right? Holy, holy men speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, right? That's how we got this, this Bible. And so out of people's characteristics, God would bring stuff out. So God will bring, you know, David being a shepherd. So we, we know that. But there's even more to that because if I look at where Psalm 23 sits in the book of Psalms, I got a blessing about what this means for my walk with the Lord. If you turn the page over, look at Psalm chapter 22. Psalm chapter 22, we're not going to read the whole thing, but just look at verse 1. It says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Psalm 22, we call it a messianic psalm, right? Jesus Christ spoke these words when he was on the cross. So even though David writes Psalm 22 way before the crucifixion, way before Jesus, David, David didn't know who Jesus was. Way before, though, David writes these words, and these are the words that Jesus Christ spoke on the cross. Holy Spirit using David and prophesying. You read through Psalm 22 and you look at all the different things about how Jesus' bones weren't broken. It talks about the bulls of Bashan that were across, uh, around the cross. We see that Psalm 22 shows Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, as the Messiah. Flip over to Psalm chapter 24, one chapter, a couple chapters over. I get to Psalm chapter 24 and I look down there around verse 7. The Bible says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. You know that Jesus is coming back one day. He's coming back. There's going to be a second advent. Jesus Christ is going to come back and touch down that mountain of olives. And he's going to vanquish his enemies. And he's going to walk through that eastern gate of Jerusalem. The Lord of hosts. The King of glory. So Psalm chapter 24, I see Jesus Christ the King. Psalm chapter 22, I see Jesus Christ the Savior. In Psalm chapter 23, we got a gap between Jesus Christ when he came that first time. And when he came that second time, and in Psalm chapter 20, see, I see what Jesus Christ is for me more specifically right now in this church age, is he is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. That's who he is. Turn to John chapter 10. Let's look at Jesus Christ, the shepherd. Got to bring this, make sure we understand that the shepherd we're talking about specifically here in Psalm 23, verse 1, is Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus Christ. John chapter 10. He's a good shepherd. Amen? Amen. John chapter 10. When you get there, get down to around verse 7. John chapter 10, verse 7. John 10, verse 7, the Bible says, Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. You see that right there in John chapter 10? You know what Jesus Christ says? Jesus Christ says, I am the door. Like Pastor preached last week, Jesus Christ is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. You want to get to heaven, he goes, you got to go through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ makes that very clear for us in John chapter 10. And even though doctrinally he's talking to the children of Israel, spiritually, I get something out of this. Verse 8, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. You know, before you got saved, all those, you had a lot of other voices that you could have been listening to. and Maybe you were listening to. You had a bunch of other people pulling you. Maybe the different religions saying, you got to do this, you got to do that. Maybe you had some philosophers or some professors saying, like, oh, you got to live by this creed or live by this ethos and all these different things. And, and that's the right path. That's the path that you got to be on. Maybe some people said, it's not just one, it's a bunch. It's a bunch. You got to pick and choose and kind of just find your way, right? All those different things. You know what the Bible calls that? It calls those people thieves and robbers. Even, the, the, even if they didn't intend, to be a thief and a robber. you got to understand the spirit that's behind that. Because the Lord is either my shepherd or he's not. No man can serve two masters. And so I can serve a bunch of other shepherds, or I can just serve the shepherd. And there's a lot of people trying to get to heaven a lot of different ways. 
Jesus Christ said, I am the way. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Verse 9. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find passion. Remember the day you got saved? You have to work for it? No, you just put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. That's what Jesus Christ did. You know, I was uh, reading a, um, a book uh, written by a guy named Admiral uh, McRaven. Some of you may have heard of him. He's written a couple of books. He wrote a book called How, uh, How to um, some, Make Your Bed. I think it was Make Your Bed. He gave a speech at the University of Texas a few years ago. Uh, Admiral McRaven was the head of Joint Special Operations Command uh, back when they got Osama bin Laden, back in 2011. Uh, and then he also was a, a big part of when they captured Saddam Hussein. So Admiral McRaven uh, was a leader in the Navy for, I don't know, 30, 40 years. And eventually he obtained this status called the Bullfrog. He was a Navy SEAL. And the oldest Navy SEAL gets this moniker. It's kind of a joke kind of series called the Bullfrog, right? So he wrote a book recently called The Wisdom of the Bullfrog. And, you know, I got a lot of stuff out of it. And I see someone that put together the operation, get Osama bin Laden. Maybe there's something I can get out of his, his, his leadership uh, book. But he had one, one of his principles, which really jumped out to me, was that a shepherd must smell, a shepherd must smell like his sheep. In other words, the point he was drawing was that if you're in a leader and you're in command, you've got to be able to relate to the people that you're with. Got to be able to, you know, kind of walk by the rank and file and relate to them. So people know who you are, know that you have a soul, know that you care, all these different things, right? Shepherd's got to smell like his sheep. You know, the Bible says about Jesus, Christ, about God and Jesus Christ, it says that in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, Jesus Christ had no sin on the earth, perfect sinless sacrifice, And when he went on that cross, you know what he did? He took all of our sins and he put them on him. Put them on him. God took all those sins and put on Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus Christ, when he died, God could be satisfied because he was perfect. He had all of our sins. He died in our place. And that's why I can trust in him as my savior. Man, he took it all. And Josh read it this morning. I'm going to read it again in Hebrews chapter 4. Because he put on flesh and walked on this earth, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He understands what you're going through this morning. i got to remind myself of that. That when I speak to God, I'm not speaking to, you know, someone far out that wants nothing to do with me. I speak to somebody who actually put on flesh, actually walked on the dirt that we walk on. If you go to Jerusalem, if you go to Israel, some of you have, you can see the places where Jesus Christ actually walked. He's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. That's why we can come boldly unto that throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Back in John chapter 10, and I love this in verse 10 and 11. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. All those other voices, the devil... Man, that's all he wants. The devil just wants to take you, give you enough breadcrumbs to make you think that he loves you, make, make you think that he'll take care of you. But all he wants to do is to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's in his character from the beginning. That's his character even today. But look at our good shepherd. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And we're, we're going to look at that. But he didn't just came to give you life, but to give it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. Man, we got to recognize first and foremost, before we even walk through Psalm 23, who this shepherd is. He's a good shepherd. I don't love him enough. I don't love like him enough. But you know what? That's not an excuse not to get in the word, to pray, and to desire. Because, yeah, I may not be Jesus Christ, but can I be more like him tomorrow than I was today? If the answer to that question is yes, which it is, then we got to get back in it. And we got to get back into fellowship and we got to look at our walk and say, is this walk where it needs to be? Is it where it needs to be? Is the Lord your shepherd this morning? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior first and foremost? You remember a day when you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and you asked him to forgive you of your sins because of what he did on that cross? If you can't remember a day that you did that, today would be a good day to do that. There's a bunch of people here in this room, you can come ask me walk you through the verses show it's very simple just putting your faith in Jesus Christ that finished work on Calvary but for those of us who are saved is the Lord your shepherd today 
you're not going to lose your salvation once you get it. Right? That's your standing in Jesus Christ. I know I'm not going to lose it. Right? Because in John chapter 10, just look over there in verse 27, uh, 28 and 29. He says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave, me, gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Man, if you've got made the Lord your shepherd, you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, no one's taking you out of Jesus Christ. No one's taking you out. But when I say is the Lord your shepherd, I'm saying, is that the voice that you're following? Are you following the Lord's voice? Is he the voice that you're listening to? Do you even know what it sounds like anymore? Has it been a while since you've gotten his words and been in front of it? Can you recognize the voice of the Lord? And if you're in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you can sit here today and maybe the Lord's not your shepherd, not the shepherd that he should be. I was rebuked and encouraged and slapped around a lot just putting this message together today. I mean, we can change that today. We can change course today. So turn back to Psalm chapter 23. Turn back to Psalm chapter 23. Here's some beautiful things here as we see on the walk with our Lord. Psalm chapter 23, I want to encourage you this morning. I want to challenge us, but I want to encourage you this morning that the Lord is my shepherd. If the Lord is your shepherd, man, I shall not want. I shall not want. And you know that want part in the second half of that verse, I'm not talking about you're not going to desire different things, right? But let's be careful here because when we talk about wants, right, when we talk about wants, from a biblical perspective, most of our wants can more accurately be defined as lusts. Right? We want a bigger house. We want a better job. We want a nicer car. We want this. We want that. We want this. We want that. Right? We're lusting after a lot of different things. Right? We got a lot of things that we covet after. Right? But then there are things that we need. And God knows those needs. And I'm not saying not to pray and ask God for faith, not to pray and ask God for this, not to pray and ask God for some more peace, for more, some more joy, but pray believing And pray that if God doesn't open the door, that you're not looking to jump through the window. Because if the Lord is your shepherd, whatever that need is, if it's truly a need, God's going to give it to you. And until he does, rest assured that God has given you everything that you need right now. So we say that you're not, I shall not want. Want here is, there's nothing needful that I, for, for right now. There's nothing here that I, I, that I need that I don't have that I'm lacking in Jesus Christ right now. Verse two, verse 2 here, Psalm chapter 23. This is the first thing he does. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. You know the first thing that the Lord does is your shepherd? He gives you rest and he gives you peace gives you rest and peace. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. You know, as I was right through my notes last, uh, I think it was last Saturday, last Sunday, you know, I'm looking out into my yard and it's been a couple of weeks since I had mown my lawn and it mowed a lot. So I, my yard, I had a very good picture of what green pastures look like. And uh, when I eventually did go out there and mow that lawn, I felt like I destroyed a whole ecosystem. You know, there was like bugs flying out. I was like, I hope I don't actually kill a sheep because there could be one hiding back here. But, you know, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Notice that the green pastures are already there. They're already there. He doesn't give you a bucket of water and some seed and say, all right, kid, go make something grow. He brings you in. Jesus Christ says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The first thing that Jesus Christ does, he brings you and he shows you, look at everything that I've got for you right here. I can take care of you. Look at all these things. I'm going to give you rest. He gives the sinner rest from a life full of sin. Some of us were saved out of addiction, saved out of going to some pretty bad places, doing some pretty bad things. And if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, who knows where you would have been a day later, a month later, a year later. Man, your time, your clock might have been ticking and it might have been almost up. And Jesus Christ saved you out of that and learned to give you some rest in his word, some rest in his promises. You don't have to go back and do those things for satisfaction because you can get satisfied in Jesus Christ. He gave you rest. What about the religious man, right? A lot of people got saved out of religion. 
Maybe God thought that they were a good person, thought that you did some good things until you came face to face with Jesus Christ and you realized that all those good things that you thought you were doing compared to Jesus Christ didn't amount to anything. And you had a decision to make. Am I going to keep trusting in my own works and trusting in my own pride? Or am I actually going to forsake those things and just trust that Jesus Christ is the finished work? And just put my faith and trust in him. And man, the religious man that gets saved, gets saved out of a life full of dead works so that he can go on and just let God work through him, work through her to bring out those fruits of the Spirit just getting out of the way. The Lord just gives you rest, gives you those green pastures. Learn so we can walk after him, be satisfied with him, with him alone. Some of us have been going to the, uh, the fair this past week. Been going through the fair this past week. And if you're going, I think it's, there's still today, if you head over there or if you've gone there, as you're driving down Kozlowski Road, there's a couple of buildings. There's a big complex before the fairground. And there's the sheriff's office. There's the police academy. Uh, a couple other uh, buildings there. And, you know, when I... My first summer out of law school, I clerked at the Monmouth County Prosecutor's Office, basically like an internship. Uh, and we got to tour a lot of different buildings, got to tour the prison, got to tour the sheriff's office, uh, got to sit in on trials. And, and that summer, I had the opportunity uh, to work pretty closely on some cases with the Special Victims Unit. And the Special Victims Unit sees a lot of evil on a day-to-day basis, and we'll just leave it at that. And so I got to do some legal research for them, got to uh, go to some trials, attend some hearings, got to see some things, hear some things that, man, I, I, I wouldn't recommend anybody go sit on those hearings, really wouldn't recommend anybody go, go see those things, hear those things. You know what I'm talking about. If anybody you run across doesn't believe that there's good and evil in this world, just direct them to, you know, a police officer that works in the Special Victims Unit. Direct them to one of the prosecutors that works in the Special Victims Unit, and you'll realize very quickly that there is good and there is evil in this world. And one of the buildings, though, that we got to take a tour of uh, in, in Freehold is the Child Advocacy Center. And the Child Advocacy Center, as you're going down Kozlowski, is that first building that's on your right in that complex. And from the outside, the Child Advocacy Center just looks like a normal office administrative building. That's all it, all it looks like. But when you walk into the center, that building is where they take kids out of traumatic situations. And they bring them there. Because if they had to remove them from the home, either because of things going on around them or to them, they're not going to bring them to the prison. And they're not going to bring them before a plainclothes police officer. And so when you walk into the Child Advocacy Center, it feels like you're walking into a home. There's a living room. There's a kitchen. Probably looks like our homes if you've got little kids. There's a refrigerator with magnets and stickers and all these different things. So that that kid, when they walk in, they don't know what's going on. But they want them to feel safe. They don't know that the person bringing them in is a police officer. They don't know that that person that's attending to them and asking them questions and showing them around is an officer of the court. They don't know that there's a medical exam room in the back. They don't know that there's doctors there on staff. And, you know, those kids got to go through a lot of stuff because some of them might end up being a key witness to things that happen, to put those bad people away. And no child should ever go through what they're going through, but they put that situation together for them so that they can just have peace, so that they can have rest, and so that they can learn to trust the people that are going to take care of them before they take on that long road ahead. And again, if ye being evil, right? I don't know how many saved people were involved in putting together the Child Advocacy Center. I think that's a great thing that they do for those kids. But you know that you and I were enemies of God. Those kids are innocent. But you and I were enemies of God. And God saved us. And man, God brought us into his family, made you a child of God, promised you a home in heaven, promised you he'd never leave you or forsake you. You know, a lot of times we, as Christians, you know, get older in the faith and you start to look at people and you... You want to love them where you want them to be rather than where they're at. Remember Pastor Pat Dean used to say all the time, you got to love people where they're at and not where you want them to be. Before you try to make somebody a disciple of yourself, just show them the love and the care that Jesus Christ showed to you and that he showed to me. Help them to trust to rest in his promises. Help them to trust to rest in his word because that's what God does. 
That's what God does. You know, you don't got to work for God's love as a Christian. You don't got to work for it. God already loves you. You know, in the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect. Adam wasn't working with the sweat on his brow initially in the Garden of Eden. That came because sin came into the world. But, you know, and as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. And so Jesus Christ spiritually reverses that. I don't need to be working. I don't need to be living in sorrow. The Bible says that the blessing Lord maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. And so i got to remind myself that, man, God has given me green pastures. And if you've walked away from the Lord and you feel like you don't feel the love of God in your life, you just got to go back to those green pastures because they're already there. They're already there. Next thing he does, says he leadeth me beside the still waters. Turn with me to uh, Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah chapter 48. Let's look at this. Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah chapter 48. Go down to uh, verse 16. I was taking my daughter for, uh, we're going for a, a walk yesterday. Uh, once kids start crying, it's like, all right, everybody get out of the house. Let's go. Let's start moving. Come on. It's a beautiful uh, Sunday night. And uh, there's a, a lake behind my house, which when it's not overflowing and flooding into my basement is actually pretty beautiful and pretty peaceful. Uh, and we were walking down there, and, you know, I'm walking with Grace. She's holding my hand and walking by. And, you know, it's, it just reminded me, you know, the God is those still waters. You know, those still waters. And in Isaiah chapter 49, the Bible says, verse, verse 16, Come ye near unto me, hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, there am I. And now the Lord God, his spirit, has sent me. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. Oh, that thou hast hearkened to my commandments, then had thy peace been as a river, and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. Thy seed also had been as the sand, and the offspring of thy bowels like the gravel thereof. His name should not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. I got that promise here right there in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 18. Man, you just get, I mean, God saves you, he gets you in his word, starts showing you some of those promises. You know, he gives you that peace like a river. Start walking along Jesus Christ, Start, saying, start to see where you can get clean, that washing by the water of the word. Realize you've got the Holy Spirit, that fount of living water living inside you. Then had thy peace been as a river, and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. You know, we sing it in that, that hymn, It is well with my soul. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way. Right? We, 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 we sing that song. But do we believe it? Are we going back to it? Is the Lord our shepherd? We can say, man, with that rest and that peace. I know from reading these verses, man, man God, I, I, I've been missing out on some of that rest and some of that peace, even in my own walk. I had to go back to these verses. Man, in Jesus Christ, I don't got to go anywhere else. And God, I got that rest, those green pastures, and I got that peace. He leadeth me by those still waters. Turn back to Psalm 23. Psalm chapter 23. Maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Here in verse 3. Let's see the next thing he does. Verse 3, the Bible says, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, uh, the guy Oppenheimer, that part of the Manhattan Project, made the atomic bomb and everything. He's got that famous line that he says, Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. You know, Jesus Christ is the restorer of souls. You know, when Jesus Christ saved you, man, let's just turn to it. Let's just turn to it. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Because we just got to see this. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. We got to be reminded of what our Savior did for us. So that I can have that faith again to trust me, trust him for what he's doing in my life even now. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. He doesn't just save you and give you rest and give you peace. But there's some restoration that goes on. There's some restoration that goes on. And you're in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm just going to read you Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The Bible says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And he said in John chapter 10, I have come that they might have life, right? He gave you life, and that they might have it more abundantly. 
It says in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 2, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ. Remember that? Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But look at this. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You know, when you were outside of the family of God, God took you and he brought you in and he restored your soul. He saved your soul. You were going on to a devil's hell and God puts you in the way and God puts you on the way to glory. You got a home in heaven. You got taken out of the devil's family, got put into God's family. And there was no way that you and I were going to do that, but God did it. And man, in Psalm 23, he doesn't just save your soul and restore your soul and give you eternal life, but he starts to put your life back together here on earth. Starts to restore some things. And you know, restoration doesn't always mean to put something back in its original condition. Doesn't always mean to put something back just exactly the way that it was. You look in the Old Testament and sometimes people had to bring sacrifices or people had to atone for their sins. And one of the things you'd have to restore your neighbor, right? If you stole something, you'd have to give it back. But sometimes you had to restore five sheep for an ox, right? It wasn't exact for exact. And sometimes you had to restore somebody sevenfold, right? He does the same thing for us. Because he doesn't just give you life, he gives you more abundantly. He doesn't just put you back to where you were before you fell into that trouble that you cried out and cried to Jesus Christ out of. No, 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 no. He gives you so much more than what you had before. And sometimes we trust Jesus Christ and you might lose some friends. You might lose some family members along the way. Not all your family and friends will understand the decision that you made. Might think that you joined a cult, right? Anybody here been in that situation, right? Okay. And so what happens? Well, God gives you a new family. God gives you some brothers and sisters around you who love you, try to live this book the best that they can. And so sometimes God physically replaces people in your life with other people, and the end of that thing becomes better than the beginning. Isn't that what he did with Job? Isn't that what he did with Job? I mean, Job lost everything. Job lost everything. And over 40 chapters of Job just figuring out, God, why did this happen? And we know Job had a pride problem that he had to figure out, but, I mean, he was a righteous man by any of our measures. I mean, you compare me to Job, and I probably fall short of Job. Definitely fall short of Jesus Christ, but I probably fall short of Job also. Job was a good guy. He lost everything, right? But turn to the book of Job. You're in Psalm 23. Just turn a couple of uh, pages over. Go to Job chapter 42. Because let's look what happens to Job at the end of it. Because Job's a real person. These aren't cunningly devised fables. This wasn't just made up. This isn't just supposed to make you feel good so you can go home and do whatever. Go to Job chapter 42 and uh, start here in, in verse 10. The Bible says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread within, with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought, up, brought about him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. This isn't a prosperity gospel that we're preaching here today, but I just want to encourage you that if you've lost some things, the God is the restore. God will restore. He will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, that the canker worm hath eaten. He'll restore all those years to you. If you've walked away from the Lord, you're coming to God this Sunday morning, walked away from God, out of fellowship, not having the Lord as your shepherd, right? And you feel like you got to go back to square one. Well, square one is not a bad place to start, but can I tell you something? That you don't come back to God and God says, ah, oh, well, you know, I don't know what else I can do with you. I don't know what else God can do. You know, you've squandered everything. No, God, God can restore back to you. And it might take some time, and it might look different than what you had before. Maybe those things that you lost when you walked away from God, maybe those things are done and not coming back. 
And we just got to pray for God for peace, for acceptance for that. But God made Joe's latter end better than it was in the beginning. And it's in God's heart to do that. It's in God's heart to do that. Another thing that God, you know, impressed upon me, turned out to uh, Luke chapter 15. Another thing that God impressed upon me was, you know, I mean, we got people in this room that are sitting here today. Might be sitting next to family members that they didn't always see eye to eye with. That they didn't always hang out and break bread with. But the Lord restored those relationships. So we got people in this room that I can actually speak from experience the things that we're reading right here. This isn't just something that we're just tossing out there in the wind. God does that. And in Luke chapter 15, I'm reminded of this also, is that I think everybody in this room to some extent has somebody that you love might be a saved believer, might be a family member, could be a brother, could be a sister, could be a son, could be a daughter, could be a father, whatever it is, that's walked away from God. And it breaks your heart. Because you stand there and you see all, the, I mean, we read it in Psalm 23, you see all the green pastures, all the still waters, all the things that God has in store for the believer. And you look at that person walking away, you say, what are you doing? You've lost your peace, you've lost your joy. That path you're walking on is not better than the path that you could be on with Jesus Christ. And it leads to far worse than what you think it's going to. And it breaks our heart. We pray for those people and try to love on those people and ask God, how do we reach out to those people to bring them back in? And I don't have the answer and I don't have the solution. Everybody's got different circumstances there. But you know what I do know and what I can be reminded of and I can hopefully share and encourage with you is that as much as I love that person, as much as you love that person, that person's a child of God. God loves that person even more than we do. And the good shepherd will leave the 99 for the one. Luke chapter 15, verse 3. He spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the 99 in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home and calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. I don't know how the end is going to work out for that person that's walked away. I got a younger brother that should be sitting in this church right now, but he's not. And I've gone to almost to blows with him over things. I've gotten in the flesh with him over those, some things. I've gotten frustrated with him over some things. You know, I can't have my heart get hard, the Lord showed me, towards him. I can't, again, I can't try to love him where I want him to be. Because even if I look with my own personal relationship with God, there's been plenty of times where God's had that same look at me and could have that same attitude towards, towards me. Like, what are you doing? Stop being an idiot. I mean, if we're honest, over and over and over and over again. And I got to remind myself that, man, however I think that I love that person, me being evil, right? Man, God loves, God will leave the 99 for the one. And sometimes we just got to remind ourselves of that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And if that person decides to turn back to God, man, God can restore that person. And not only God can restore that person and what that person lost, but God can restore the relationship that you used to have with that person. Could you look at that verse 6? Man, they're gathering on the table again. And there's some rejoicing. Amen. Again, I don't know how long. I don't know when. But I know God. And I know that's got to be enough. Amen, amen. Turn back to Psalm chapter 23. Psalm chapter 23. He's a good shepherd, amen? Amen. Amen. 
Psalm chapter 23, we're back here in verse 3. He restoreth my soul. And the second half here, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. But watch it now, for his name's sake. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know what God starts to do when you rest in his promises? You trust in his word. You start to let him lead you a little bit. He leads you in those paths of righteousness. He, he restores you and he starts to show you that way wherein you should walk. He starts to show you these promises in the Bible and his word that if, you would just, if I would just obey what he's already laid out here, man, those paths of righteousness, those are sweet. Those are sweet. And pastor said it last week. If you want to be a better anything, look to Jesus Christ. If you want to learn how to be a better husband, a better wife, a better father, a better mother, a better worker, a better friend, all these things, just let him lead you in those paths of righteousness. And people around you, even if they don't understand it, and even if they might reject the gospel that you're preaching to them, they can't help but stand to see like, wow, I saw where that person was at. And I even see where I'm at right now, but there's something different here that I can't argue against. And those are those paths of righteousness that we walk on. But remember that the glory always goes back to God. And turn to uh, Psalm chapter 40. Turn to Psalm chapter 40. I love this psalm here. Psalm chapter 40. It's path to righteousness. You know, I, I love also about the book of Psalms and just studying out David that you know, you, you, you look at David in these Psalms, and if you were to diagnose him from a psychological perspective, you'd probably di- diagnose David with clinical depression, man. I mean, he's got his ups, and he's got his downs. And, you know, he just keeps coming back to the end of these chapters. You know what he just does? He's like, I just got to remember. I just call, I got to call to remembrance, man. I don't got the answers for everything. I just got, I've got this book. This book is enough. And if you're, whatever situation you're in, you know what we got to get back to? Just remember, call to remembrance those things that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm chapter 40, verse 1, Bible says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Man, some of waiting can be hard. We don't like to wait. We live, I don't like to wait. We live in a busy, my microwave doesn't heat the popcorn fast enough, my toaster, you know, the bake isn't enough. It's got to be on convect bake, right? It's got to preheat faster. It's got to cook faster. I just got a toaster. It's got air fry now. It's amazing, right? Everything's boom, boom, boom. I don't like to wait. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined inclined unto me and he heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit. Man, he did it when he saved you, but he does it even in your walk. Out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock. And he established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust. And respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Oh, man, you just got to make the Lord your rock you got to trust in the Lord. Just keep waiting on him. Just keep patiently waiting on him. He will incline his ear unto your cry. He hears it. He sees it. And man, put that new song in your mouth. Those paths of righteousness we got to walk on. But remember, all that glory goes back to him. All that glory has got to go back to him. You don't got to turn there. All that glory has got to go back to him. Turn to Psalm, back to Psalm 23. I'm going to meet you there in a second. But I'm reminded of this verse because people are going to notice and people are going to be able to tell the difference. And you've got to be ready to give an answer. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Sometimes all they see is your testimony. They see the difference. But you've got to point that back to the Father. You've got to say, this is where it's coming from. This is where it's coming. It's not about me. Oh, I have, you know, you, you feel all puffed up. People say all these different things. No, no, no. It's all God. It all goes back to God. He's my shepherd. Back to Psalm chapter 23. Back to Psalm chapter 23, verse 4. We're almost done here. Verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Christian life's not always sunshines and rainbows, Right? Not always sunshine and rainbows. Those trials come. David says, yea, though I walk through the valley, that valley comes. At some point in your Christian life, you trust God. God brings you to that valley. God brings you to that trial. And God uses these times not to hurt us or to crush us, but to prove us. And you study out the shadow of death. That actually, that phrase comes up more times than you 
uh, you, you would think in your Bible. But, you know, that shadow of death can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. That shadow of death, you know, can sometimes literally be death knocking on the doorstep. You know, we live in a sinful world. The world lieth in darkness, even now. The whole world lieth together in darkness. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. As long as there's sin on this world, there's going to be death. There's going to be death. Sometimes it could just be death of relationships. We talked about that before. It could be physical death. You could get that text that a loved one was in a car accident. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. You might get a test result back from the doctor, right? And you don't know what you're going to be able to do with that, but it doesn't look good. And I don't got the answers for all those different things that come in, but one of these days, we're going to come across that. And what do we do? What do we do? Well, what does David say? He says, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Man, I know that I can stand that evil day. Ephesians chapter, chapter 6, I know that I can stand that evil day. You know why? Because God's with me. Because God's with me. And I got to remind myself of that. Though the day may seem dark that the Lord is with me. Turn with me real quick. Turn with me real quick to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. I want to take a look at this. 2 Kings chapter 6. It's not just me talking here. 2 Kings chapter 6. Stuff is real. I mean, that's what we need. Need to be reminded of these promises. Need to be reminded about those who came before us that were in similar positions as us. And what God did with them. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 13. Don't have time to give the whole backstory, but we've got Elisha the prophet and his servant surrounded by the king of Syria. And they're in a pretty bad spot. Looks like they're about to die. And verse 13 of 2 Kings chapter 6 says, He said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. And so here we go. So here's the king of Syria. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, and hosts compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And they're surrounded. We got all these enemies around us. Feels like we're in that valley of the shadow of death right now, Elisha. What are we going to do? Verse 16. Here's his answer. He answered, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Amen. Man, I bet you, I'm telling you, if I was that servant right there looking at those armies of Syria, I mean, we, we know how the story turns out. Some of us, we read it and like, oh, you know, but if I'm right there in that moment, I'm looking at Elisha like, this is it. You've officially lost it. All those things, I think you actually were crazy this whole time because I don't see anybody around here. Verse 17, and Elisha prayed. And said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Do you know something? The horses and the chariots of fire that the servant was able to see were already there. It doesn't say that God sent them there. What the servant needed was for Elisha, for, was for God to open his eyes. When we're in that valley of the shadow of death and we feel like the enemy's all around and we're all encompassed and we don't have anywhere to go, you know what we need to do? We got to get alone with God and say, God, open my eyes through your word that I might see. Bring that promise. Show me that whatever that is, just show me, remind me in Psalm 23, verse 1, that the Lord, you're my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. And we pray for things. Maybe I need some more faith, some more strength to get through today. Lord, I need some healing. Whatever those things are, and it's good to pray for those things. We have not because we ask not. You got to bring those petitions. You got to come boldly, right? But just remember that God's going to give you exactly what you need when you need it. And that's hard for us to wait patiently for, but that's how God is. He did that for you when you were a sinner. He did that for you. He made a way when there was no way. He came and he made it. And it says that it was in due time that Christ died for the ungodly. Not in my time, not in your time. It was in due time, right on time, right on schedule. And God delivers us like that just today. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. As we're circling the the wagons here, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, because he says, He fears no evil, for thou art with me. He knows that the Lord is with him. And David could say that, man. David fought Goliath without Saul's armor, with just those five stones, and he only really needed one of them. Why? Because he knew that God was with him. 
But in that, in that verse in Psalm 23 also, he says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know, throughout the Bible, people holding rods and people holding staffs are people that are in positions of power and authority. You know, i got to remind myself also, not only that God is with me right now, but he's still on the throne. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Prophetically, this speaks about Israel. And it's actually fulfilled in the Gospels right after Jesus Christ comes out of the wilderness, is tempted of the devil, and begins his earthly ministry. That light is coming to the children of Israel. Those children that were dwelling in the shadow of death. But man, look down in verse 6. Because when we're in that valley, and we're in that shadow, you can't have a shadow without light. And not, Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, I got to remind myself that God's still on the throne. And he's coming back and he's going to reign forever and forever and forever. And this light affliction is but for a moment. I got to take that step back and say, God, you're with me here in this valley. And God, you're still on the throne. Nothing happens without God on his watch, allowing it to happen, seeing how things are going to get played out. God doesn't get taken by surprise by the trials that we're going through. God knows it. He knows the need. But what do I got to do? I got to get in these words. I got to remind myself of these things, man. This battle in the mind, I got to get in this word. I got to remind myself myself of these things. I got to get light, bring light into that dark place. And turn back to Psalm chapter 23. Turn back to Psalm chapter 23. You know, we sing the, uh, that hymn, a great old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And uh, it's a powerful hymn. It's got a powerful backstory. Some of us may know it. Some of us may not be familiar with it. It's written by a man named Horatio G. Spafford. And, um, you know, Horatio G. Spafford, before he sent his wife and his daughters on that boat to go to England, that ended up sinking. You know, he was a, uh, a lawyer and a, a real estate investor in Chicago. And he lost his son due to scarlet fever. And then that great Chicago fire took place. He lost all his business and all his assets and stuff. And he was on some pretty hard times. And so one of the reasons why he didn't go on the ship with his wife, Anna, and his four daughters was because he was tying up some loose ends, some business deals at home. And truth be told, they were actually going to a conference where D.L. Moody was going to be speaking on. So it wasn't like they were even going on a vacation. They were going to a revival meeting in England. And, uh, of course... As his wife and his four daughters are on that ship and on the way to England, that ship goes down and only his wife survives. And Horatio G. Spafford loses his four daughters to the sea. And that's when he takes that ship finally to go back to England and to meet up with his wife that he writes that hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. He passes over the spot where the ship went down. But you know, Anna Spafford actually was there. And she had to witness the horrors of losing her four daughters out to sea. And had to be rescued and, you know, brought to England without them. And had to type that telegram to her, 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 her husband, saved alone. That's tough. You know, she says something very profound in some of his let- her letters and her journals. She said this, It is easy to be grateful and good when you have so much. But take care that you are not a fair-weather friend to God. And man, I read that, I was like, whoa, whoa. Because, you know, God says he'll never leave me nor forsake me. And whatever God is working together in my life, it's for his name's sake, it's for his glory. If I throw, quit and throw in the towel now, the devil gets to point out and say, see, God, I told you so. I got another failure. Another one I said wasn't going to trust you. Here it is, God. Here it is. I don't want to be a fair-weather friend of God in those moments. I don't want it to be just all about me. I want to be able to stand before him and have him say, well done. Well done. And if that's your desire in your heart, when you get to that trial, you get to that shadow of death, whatever that is, just trust God. Because if the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. 
Let's finish it up here. Psalm chapter 23. And here we go in verse 5. Because if you do that, you see God for who he is. Remember, he's on the throne. This is what he does. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. You know that God gives us exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think? You know, we got people in this room that have very recently gone through the shadow of death. We got, look at our pastor. How many years, feels like three years now, with a diagnosis with Christian and leukemia, right? And we saw him Sunday after Sunday get back into this pulpit and preach from his, in God's word. And we saw him birth before everything with COVID, not missing a beat. We couldn't meet in, 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 in here. We met at his house. We met in a parking lot. I mean, day by day by day, he was faithful to keeping up the prayer meeting, keeping up the, the missions, keeping up with the Thursday night, the Sunday morning, all this stuff going on while Christians got this diagnosis. Not sure how this is all going to turn out. And I know we were with him in the trenches, praying for him, trying to encourage him, but we weren't with him when he was taking the trip down to Sloan Kettering. We weren't with him on the car ride there. We weren't with him in the waiting room as they're waiting for those test results. I can't imagine what they had to go through during that time. And I saw my pastor get up Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. One more time. And I know that wasn't easy. I know that wasn't easy. And we don't lift up men. We don't lift up, put people on a pedestal here. But I tell you what, one of the roles of a pastor is a shepherd. And here, First Bible Church in New Jersey in this auditorium, with Pastor Pat Mashani as our pastor, we got a good shepherd. Amen. We got a good shepherd. Jesus Christ, first and foremost, I know that. But I look through my Bible in the Old Testament, and I see a nation of Israel that had the same God, but depending on who was sitting on the throne and leading them, they had a different result. It matters who the leader is. We ought to pray for our pastor, love on our pastor. Man, you're talking about godly examples that we can follow. We got Jesus Christ. He's our high priest first and foremost, but God gives us some good examples down here to follow, and our pastor's one of them. But man, he prepares a table. God can furnish a table in the wilderness. He did it for the children of Israel. He can cause water to come from a rock. He can cause bread to fall down from heaven. Man, anointeth my head with oil, my cup runneth over. It brings me back to that account, and, uh, again, with Elisha. She's, he's got that woman that her husband died and she owes that creditor some money. Otherwise, that they're going to take her kids away and make them bondsmen, bond servants. And she's got nothing but this pot of oil in the house. And Elisha says, go gather all the vessels that you have and just take that pot of oil and just keep filling the vessels. And she goes, she grabs her kids, go grab every vessel, get everything that you got. I don't care if it's a, a, a pot, if it's a, a, a pan, whatever it is, go grab something, a cup, and just put it in there. And that little pot of oil filled all the vessels that were in the house so that they were not only able to pay off the creditor, but they were able to also to sell and to live off the excess that was remaining. And, you know, it wasn't until they ran out of the vessels to bring in that the oil stayed. Man, if we just ask God for that deliverance, ask God for that help, man, whatever we ask God for, I mean, you pray believing God's going to fill that need and he's going to do it exceeding and abundantly above all that we ask or think. Remember, when his, he restores things, he doesn't just bring it back. Oh, man, I gave, gave life and that more abundantly. That's in the heart of my Savior. He prepares that table before me in the presence of my enemies. Even in that dark place, I man, God prepares a table. Has he done that for you? Has he done that for you? Amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We got that hymn that we, uh, we sing, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Amen. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know that he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. It's simple as that. Let's finish here in verse 6. Surely, at the end of it, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Man, I may not know it and I may not recognize it at the time. But when I look back... And when you look back, when we're standing before him, we're going to look back and, wow, I saw all God's goodness and I saw God's mercy following me. See all the things that I didn't understand how he was going to work out along the way, and he did it. He did it in his time. He did it for his glory, but he did it. And I'll share with you just a, uh, as we wrap up here just a, a personal example from my own. Let me just grab this hymnal real quick. 
just a personal example on my own, and just a, a small thing in the grand scheme of things, but, you know, there's a time back around 20, 2019, I was clerking for a judge. It was a one-year deal, so I knew I had to get another job after I came, came out of it, interviewing for a bunch of places. I had an interview for this one law firm that just really just checked all the boxes. I was like, God, if this is it, this would be great. This is where I want to be. Interviewed with them, came back for a second round. Everything was good. You know, they give you the wink and the gun. Everything seems like it's a done deal. A couple months go by, and then COVID happens. And all of a sudden, who goes on a hiring freeze? And all the other places where I was applying to. So I still got on my desktop, I still got a folder of all, basically every law firm in New Jersey sent my resume application to, and the well was dry. So I finished my clerkship up, and I'm a couple months between jobs. And uh, keep praying, keep asking God, and God finally gave me something before I, I wrapped up my clerkship, I was just asking God, I had four specific things that I wanted. There's four specific things. I asked God, God, these four things, if my job could have these four things, if it's your, your will to have these things, then Lord, show it to me. Make it clear. And I'm not going to say what those four things are because those things can be different for everybody in this room. You got something, you got a, a, a need, you say, Lord, I, I need you to provide and you take care of it. That comes from a bunch of different places. So I'm not going to say what those four things were. But I'm going to say this, that God provided for me by the end of the year, got, got me, gave me a job, and it checked off about, I would say, two of those four things. But it was the job that I needed right then. Because a couple months later, Jenna gets pregnant with Grace. A few months later, we buy a house. And that job that, I, that God gave me right then and there was all that I needed for us to be able to take care of those things, moving to the house. And then about a month after the, we moved to the house, Ida comes in and floods out the whole basement. Got to replace all the stuff in my basement and stuff. Some of you saw what my basement looked like after, after the fact, right? Replaced all the stuff in the basement. Now we're waiting for the FEMA, to come, FEMA money to come in. And, you know, it's getting around September. Grace ends up being born November 7th. And things are starting to kind of start to feel the pressure. Sort of kind of feel the pressure. It's like, God, I know you're going to provide, but right now would be a good time. Right now would be a good time. Got a baby on the way. Got a lot of stuff going on. And uh, I would say about mid-September, I got a phone call. And I got a phone call from the, the judge that I worked for, whose former law clerk was working at that firm that I had an interview way, way, way back when. And uh, he said, you know, so-and-so called me, and I think the time's right. And now I had been here around the ringer a couple of times. So I'm like, all right. I'm going to hear what he has to say. I'm not going to get my hopes up. So we meet up, get the interview, go through it, get that phone call back. And you know what? That phone call back that I got landed that, that job and all the things that changed my life for those boxes that God wanted me to have, that, that I had asked for, that God put it right then and there. And it was in his timing. And for a while, I didn't understand why you know, he had me waiting and hanging on for so long, right? Just recently, I find out that if I had gotten the job back when I initially interviewed, I'd be working with a different group of people. My day-to-day would be different. My schedule might look different. And truth be told, those things that I had asked God for, they actually wouldn't have come to fruition. And so God said, all right, I hear what you're saying. And when you need it, I'll take care of it. And he did that for me. And he gave me that opportunity in his time. And that's a small thing in the eyes of God. And in my personal life, but you know what? I can look back and God use that as an example that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Amen. For anything else I go through, if there is ever a doubt in my mind that God's going to provide, man, he's going to provide right when it's his time and right when I actually need it. When I actually need my wife to be able to step back from her full-time job, that's when God's going to provide for me in that way. But until that time comes, you know what? He said, hold off. I'm working something out. I'm working something out. And man, Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Surely, goodness and mercy. We look back and goodness and God's mercy we see the whole way through. And I just want to finish off by reading the words from this hymn. The name of this hymn is, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. It's a beautiful hymn. It goes like this. It says, All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know, whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. All the way my Savior leads me. Cheers each winding path I tread. 
gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter and my soul a thirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. All the way my Savior leads me, oh, the fullness of his love. Perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When my spirit clothed immortal wings its flight to realms of day, this my song through endless ages, Jesus, Jesus led me all the way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this.